you have your Bibles, would you turn them to Revelation chapter 3? Revelation chapter 3, we're going to read the first six verses. And I want to preach a message this morning I've entitled Strengthening the Remains, or Strengthening What Remains. Life can find all of us in a place where it doesn't feel like we have much left. And, and we can feel like that what we have left is not valuable at all, so why even uh, pay any attention to it? We don't have much strength. We don't have much love. We don't have much finances, our vision, our ministry, even our mental faculties. The Bible talks about that we can be at our wit's end. And so we can be at the end of our resources, and we can be standing amidst the brokenness of life, but yet even in these times, God can get involved. The New Year's theme for this year is lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And our stakes refers to our foundations in the things of God, that we're to strengthen those foundations to prepare for growth. But sometimes those stakes can get wobbly. Have you ever been in a tent where uh, you know, you, you make a tent and all of a sudden a gust of wind comes and maybe pulls a stake out and the tent collapses. And, and many times life feels like that. Our stakes get a little wobbly and need to be strengthened. But even during those times, if we will strengthen those stakes uh, and strengthen those foundations and strengthen the things that are left in our lives, we can build upon that uh, and, and, and God can help us rebuild at times when things are shaken. So let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to begin and talk about things that remain. As we look at this portion of Scripture, we have to remind ourselves of two things. When Jesus wrote to the seven churches, there's a common theme and that is he who overcomes. And so it's talking about no matter where you find yourself in life, uh, no matter what's coming against you, whether it's persecution, whether it's uh, some type of a moral issue, uh, whether it's financial issues or spiritual issues, uh, he says, uh, he who overcomes. And so God has made a resource available for us to overcome no matter what situation life may find ourselves uh, in. And the second thing we have to look at is, uh, uh, is little, with, little with God can be multiplied and strengthened, that many times we can look at what we have left and say, how can I build on this? 
How is this important for me to even look at in life? Uh, And in verse 2, it talks about that Jesus is writing to a church that has lost its life. And I don't believe that our church has a lot of life this morning. But how many of you know all of us can find ourselves in places where where there's not a lot of life left. There's not a lot of things left. And he says, strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die. And what he's saying is that many times we we get in this place where life overwhelms us and it feels like it's dying out. Opportunities, possibilities are dying out and we're not paying attention to what's left. All throughout the word of God, There are references to where strength is fading, yet God can take the little that is left and build upon it. In 1 Kings 17, we have the wonderful story of the widow of Zarephath. In verses 8 through 13, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, this is speaking to Elijah, and rise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now, why did God, providing for Elijah, why did he send him to a widow? Why not send him to some, you know, person of resource, some wealthy person? And another thing, of all the insensitive things that Elijah could do, here's this woman, she says, look, I got enough to make a little bit for me and my son, and then we're going to die. He says, Strengthen the things that remain because they're ready to die. And what does Elijah say? That Pentecostal preacher, give to God first. (laughs) Bring an offering to the Lord. And then go make some for you and your son. Man, I mean, if, if you're reading that, here's this woman. She says, look, I'm ready to die here. I don't have anything left. And Elijah challenges her and says, you know what? Give something to God first. Give to the man of God and see what God will do. And because of that, God had a plan for the widow with no hope. He had resources. He had a future. In 1 Kings 17, 14 through 16, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And so she strengthened the things that remained. She took what remained and she made an offering to God. She did something by faith with it. And as a result, God multiplied that miracle. Later in the story, her son dies. Elijah prays for him to be risen from the dead. And so her life is like one one constant flow of miracles after this takes place. But it all began with a woman with not a lot left. 
with things that remain. I got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and we're going to eat that, then it's all over for us. And that's where life, many times, we feel. We feel like this is going to happen, this is going to happen, then it's coming to an end. It's, it's always funny as life goes by, and I think I've mentioned this before, but you get into a trial or something, and you, you, know, you know God's helped you through the 100,000 other trials you've had in life, but somehow we get a mentality, this one's going to do me in. This is the one that's going to get me right here. Yep, he got me out of this. He got me out of this. He worked in this. But you know what? This is the one that's going to do me in. And so I don't know this widow woman, if she, uh, if she uh, you know, had been helped before. But we can all get into this mentality in life where we look at what we have left. We look at our potential, our possibilities, and say, ah, this time it's not going to work. One of the most outstanding books I've read recently, there's too many quotes out of it to read, So, and I've used some of them here, is The Brute Read by Richard Sibbs. And what it talks about is, you know, God always attentive to the waning faith, the flickering light of life. And one of the things that, that out of that book that really got me is kind of one quote in the book, and I'm not quoting it word for word, but... It talks about the bruised reed and the smoking flax. So it's talking about a candle that's ready to go out. And, and he asks the question, why would, God not, why would God not put the candle out? Because it's smoking. You know, if you've ever had a candle, it gets down and it's ready to go out. and begins to smoke, begins to stink up the house. And the, your natural uh, default response would be to put out the fire because it's becoming a nuisance. Uh, but it says that he does not do that uh, even when it's about to go out. And he says the reason is because he's the one that lit the lamp. See, you know, we, we don't think about that in that story, that, that God is the one who lit that flame, and it's, he wants to protect that flame. And God lit the flame in your life, uh, and he wants to protect the flame in your life. And no matter how weak it may become, no matter how bruised the reed becomes, how broken uh, by life you become, God's intentions uh, are to nurture what's remaining, to nurture what's left, uh, and to strengthen that. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory the new living translation says he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle finally he will cause justice to be victorious god is always cognizant of the flickering flame of faith and life and is always ready to move and to revive those who are barely hanging on there's a wonderful story about the calling of Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And so there's not, Eli had been a horrible example. He, had, he, had, he was very carnal, very indifferent in spiritual matters. And it says, And it came to pass at that time, while Elah was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And it says, Before the lamp of God went out, 
that God called a prophet. God called this young boy, Samuel, to be a prophet to the nations, uh, to bring Israel back, amen, into repentance uh, and into revival because saw, God saw the flickering flame, uh, amen, of faith uh, and life in that nation and he began to move and he began to do something uh, even though there wasn't a lot left, there wasn't a lot of fire left. Uh, he began to work and build on that flame and call a young prophet, amen, to lead Israel back to God. There's something about God seeing people struggling in their faith. We had friends that we got saved with in Tucson, and I, the man had had some, he lost his wife, and he'd had some health struggles. I went to visit him uh, while I was there on staff in Tucson, and he had reminded me when he got saved, and, and it was, we got, I think we got saved in April, he got saved in May, and there was a whole bunch of people who got saved during that time. But we had grown up in the Lord together. Uh, he was very into morning prayer. I was always in morning prayer with him. We both worked construction. He worked cement finishing. And I worked in a lumber yard. And we would meet early in the morning because in summertime, you got you to work before, you know, you worked like five to one, try to beat the heat. And so um, we would work early. We'd meet early, 3.30, 4 o'clock in prayer. And... Um, he was telling me how when he got saved that, you know, there was, God moved in his life and helped him, but he had this struggle and he couldn't, he just, he was struggling with some things and he talked about coming home after work one day and he was waiting for his, you know, he got home early because he worked construction, his wife worked at a bank and, and so she's, uh, he's waiting for her to come home and he's waiting to tell her, honey, you know what, you can keep going to church if you want, but I, I can't go anymore. I, I, I'm not making it. It's not happening. I don't have any faith left. I, I've been trying to conquer these things in my life. And it's just not working for me. And so, you know, the flame is going out in his life. And he tells me a story, man. And when he told it to me, he told it to me like it happened yesterday. And this was 40 years down the road. But he said he went. So, it's, you know, he's after work. He goes into the shower he turns on the shower, and he said, when the water from the shower hit him, he was instantly filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues and just refreshed. He, he, by the time his wife got home, he had this big, stupid smile on his face, and she comes home, what's, you know, you've been drinking, what's going on, you know, and, and, uh, and he did the joy of the Lord was all over him, God helped him, and he went on to live for God for decades after that, but uh, God saw this candle, God saw this flickering flame in his life, and God did something, and that's why Jesus said, strengthen the things that remain. Don't get into a place where you give up on life. I was thinking of Elijah where he gets to that place. Uh, it is enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I'm the only one left, you know? And God had to come and speak to him in that cave and encourage him to go on the things of God. He, Elijah, God told Elijah, I know you're, there's some issues, but you're a little, little dramatic, Elijah. There's a lot, you're not the only one serving God. I got 7,000 men who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, so don't feel all alone here, you know. You're not the only one going through this. So God's a God who wants to strengthen what's left in your life.
I want to talk next about valuing the remains. When we talk about the things that remain, let's be honest, we're talking about the leftovers. I mean, you know, leftovers are not... Uh, I kind of like leftovers. My wife doesn't like leftovers, but uh, it's like... I think meatloaf tastes better like two days in the refrigerator, you know? Spaghetti's the same way. I think spaghetti tastes better after it's been aging a little bit, you know? You don't want to age to the point where the green stuff starts growing, but... Uh, uh, but but it is good when it's been sitting there for a little bit. But what we see is not enough. God sees as the potential for a miracle. We think God is done. God is often just beginning. And that's going to happen many times in the worst time in your life. You know, when the people were rebuilding the temple in the book of Haggai, uh, They were rebuilding a temple that was going to be smaller, that was going to be much less exquisite than Solomon's temple. And they were agonizing over that. And God speaks to them in Haggai 2, 2 through 5. He says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. And so they're entering into what they feel is an inferior temple, that is smaller and less luxurious. And God says, look, that's not the important thing. He says, the important thing is I'm here. I am among you. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. He says, I'm still moving in your life. And so a lot of times when we have something that's left over, we're, we're, we're dealing with what we feel is an inferior situation in life. We have to remember the spirit of God is still moving in us and helping us. The same story, and I just thought about this this morning, uh, in Nehemiah 4, 10, 11, and 14, and this is the same story of the rebuilding of the temple, different places in the Bible, but then Judah said, the strength of the labors is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, And to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And so they're in this place. They're very discouraged. They're standing amidst the brokenness of the temple. The temple had been torn down. All there is 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 broken material. They're trying to restore it. They're being threatened with attack from the enemy, and they begin to get discouraged. And Nehemiah steps in and says, look, he says, God's going to help us in this. Remember the Lord, how great and awesome he is. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He says, you need, there's a time, he says, you got to get ugly with the devil. People still use that phrase. We just use it all the time. Got to get ugly with it. And sometimes when you're in the throes of life, you got to get ugly with the devil. And doesn't say fight with your brethren and fight with your sons and your daughters and your wives. It says fight for them. Remember that. They're not the enemy. A lot of times we think they're the enemy. 
No, it's the devil that's, that's, that's you know, trying to bring all this, dis, this, this confusion and this disruption and division. And so fight, fight for your family. Don't fight against them. Okay. That was good doctrine. Now listen, with Jesus, nothing is lost. Whether it's the notable miracles he does in us or the leftovers from the miracle. In John chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Jesus feeds the 5,000 who followed him, and he blessed the boys' lunch who followed him. He multiplies it. And it says, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled... He said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the, gar- with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. You see, with Jesus, nothing is lost. He said, you know, everybody looked at the miracle, but he said, hey, gather up the fragments. Gather up the broken pieces. He says, because I don't want anything lost. And you know, sometimes life will find us where we're gathering up the broken pieces of our lives. And you know what? Those are not lost upon God. It's not just the miracle and the outstanding thing he did in your life when he saved you, when he delivered you, but it's also the time when you need the leftovers, when you need something left over from the miracle to guide you. There's going to be another time where there's not going to be a multiplication. They're going to take that food. That's going to feed them. I was thinking about this sermon. I remember uh, years ago, I was preaching in Tucson. I preached a separate message and uh, regarding this thought, but there's a Japanese art of kitsugi. Anybody ever heard of kitsugi? And what kitsugi is, if you put the picture up, you got it, is adorning, do we have it? Anyway, I'll start talking, hopefully you'll appear. Uh, kitsugi is adorning broken ceramics with a lacquer mixed with powdered gold, is part of a more than 500-year-old Japanese tradition that highlights imperfections rather than hiding them. This not only teaches calm when a cherished peach of pottery breaks, it is a reminder of the beauty of human fragility as well. In a world that so often prizes youth, perfection, and excess, embracing the old and battered may seem strange, but the 15th century practice of Kitsugi, meaning to join with gold, is a reminder to stay optimistic when things fall apart and to celebrate the flaws and missteps of life. There we go. And what's interesting about that is these joints where this, this, this vase, uh, this bowl has been broken and it's put back together and filled in with gold powder that that vessel actually becomes more valuable than it was before. It actually becomes something that, that is, is higher cost. 
And so the Japanese started this art, and I can't help but think of what they went through in World War II, the nuclear bomb and everything, and, and somehow in their psyche they realized, hey, we don't have a lot left here. We've been just defeated in battle. We've been hit by nuclear weapons. And so this is a 15th century practice, but I imagine the psyche of those people, and you think about how they snapped back from that and became the leaders in technology, you know, how Japan made advances after World War II and rebuilt their nation. That's something in them where they pick up the broken pieces of life and move on. You see, your life strengthening what remains. And Jesus taking this church, they don't feel like there's nothing left. He says, it's ready to die. He says, you don't have a lot left. He says, let me build on this. Let me build on the broken places in your life. And you know what? It doesn't mean it goes away. It's still broken. You know, it's never going to be what it was in the beginning, but it can be more valuable when the handiwork of God is working in those broken areas of your life. Alexander McLaren commenting on John 6.12 says, the general notion, I suppose, that the fragments are the crumbs that fell from each man's hand as he ate. And the picture before the imagination of the ordinary reader is that of the apostles carefully collecting the debris of the meals the meal from the grass where it had dropped, but the true notion is that the broken pieces which remain over are the unused portions into which our Lord's miracle-working hand had broken the bread, and the true picture is that of the apostles carefully putting away in store for the future use of the abundant provision which their Lord had made beyond the needs of the hungry thousands. Gather up, says our Lord, the pieces which I broke, the large provision which I made for possible once, my gifts are in excess of the requirements of the moment. Take care of them till you need them. And so what God, what Jesus was saying is, hey, you know what? I don't want anything lost. I don't want the miracle loss of the feeding the, the thousands, but he also, there's going to come a time when you're going to need what's left over in your faith. You're going to have to look back on how God's moved in your life in the past and as you eat that bread that's been left over, you can say, I remember when God worked this miracle. And you can launch from that miracle that can give you strength in your faith. Amen. I want to end this morning talking about remaining in our place. You know, strengthening the remains. Uh, it's interesting in verse 3, it says, uh, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. In a time of shaking... In a time when you're experiencing the leftovers of life and things feel like they're ready to die, God says, hold firmly. You know what? Don't make sudden decisions in a time of trial. Many people in time of trial, they make foolish decisions. They, they make sudden compulsive decisions. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, hold on. He says, life isn't over. There, there's more to life. And the thing is, is that many times that we, as in our human nature, we feel like running away. A lot of times we feel like running away. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He talks about there's a, something in us that wants to wander. There's something in us that wants to 
You know, get out of the situation that we're in instead of holding fast. A lot of this is a strategy of the enemy to distract us from what is important in our lives. Interesting portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul is dealing with a lot of things in the Corinthian church. And they're kind of, you know, they got saved. A lot of these are young converts. And they got saved, so now they're thinking, well, should I, should I do this? Should I, should I stay married? I'm married to an unbeliever. Should I stay married to an unbeliever? And so, you know, there's all these things. And so Paul speaks to them. It's very interesting, the counsel that he gives. I'm not going to read. It's a very lengthy chapter. I want to read, read a few verses. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14, speaking about marriage, he said, But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with him, let him not let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. And so, and then he also, you know, goes on to say, hey, you never know. God may save your spouse. And so these people have been saved. Say, okay, well, I'm a Christian now. I can't be married. It says not to be unequally yoked. Paul, you said that. Well, it's kind of too late after you got married, you know, so you can't just, um, uh, people, people say, well, I married the wrong person. Yes, you did, but you know what? After you, after you got married, guess what? You're stuck, you know, and I'm not saying that bad way. I'm saying everybody marries the wrong person because we marry another sinner, you know, and so we somehow think that if we would have married the right person, that everything would be different, but no, you just be dealing with a different kind of sin, a different kind of person. And so, anyway, that was free. That wasn't part of my message. No extra charge for that. So, But he talks about servants. He talks about different situations where the Corinthians found themselves. I'm going to read three verses. 1 Corinthians 7, 20, 24, and 26. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. He's talking about circumcision. And it says, uh, brethren, uh, verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in this state with which he was called. Verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that is good because of the present distress that is good for a man to remain as he is. And so what he's saying is, hey, don't be making sudden, don't be trying to get out of your situation. He said, stay where you're at. Let me bless you. Let me bless you in your position in life. Wherever life finds you, whether you're in a, you know, a time of blossoming fields and, and prosperity, or you're in a time of setback, you're in a time of financial or, or marital difficulties, wherever that stay in your place. Let me work in that situation. Because the last days are going to be full of people getting antsy. The reason I know is because the Bible says it. Daniel 12, 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That run to and fro, as people being agitated, just let's go over here, let's go over here. I'm not finding satisfaction here. Let's find satisfaction over there. It's interesting, when God asked Satan what he was up to in the book of Job, when they're talking about, you know, Job and his situation, it says there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. 
And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth, here's this agitated devil looking for somebody he can destroy. There's a roaring lion goes to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he may destroy. But many times that agitation, something about the last days, many shall run to and fro. That there will be an instability in people in the last days that will sabotage their lives. Psalm 37, 3 and 5, 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He says, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Don't let that agitation get you to, you know, to make a sudden compulsive decision. Our world is being shaken. So the things that cannot be shaken would be revealed. Hebrews 12, 25 to 27. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And so when Jesus said, strengthen the things that remain, he said, you know what? Put your anchors down. Put your foundation down. Strengthen those tent pegs and watch what I do. You might be in a bad situation he said, but I can turn this around. I can light that flame. Amen. I can, I can fix that bruise reed. I can work in your life. It's going to take some time. But he said, you know what? Don't give up just because you're, you're, you're left with the leftovers of life. Don't cause that to make you make a sudden, foolish, compulsive decision. Now, our final verse in verse 6, we're, then we're going to close. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we have to have our ears in tune spiritually in the last days. We got to hear what God is saying to us. Because if we don't, we're going to be shaken. We're going to run to and fro. What does it say about the last days? It's a, they'll say, Christ, he's over here. Oh, no, he's over there. Oh, no, he's over here. What do they say about revival? Oh, revival, it's happening over here. Oh, did you hear about the revival? It's happening over there. Oh, did you hear about this revival over there? He's over here. He's over, hey, Jesus is right here. He's right here with you this morning. And he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. You may find yourself in a good place. You may find yourself in a struggling place. I'm here to tell you, if you will strengthen the things that remain, God can build upon that and build that flame back and bless your life. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Appreciate your patience this morning. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Appreciate everybody here today. And before we go any further in the service, I want to give an appeal this morning. You know, talk about that flame. In 1 Samuel 3, it says that before the flame went out in the temple, God spoke to Samuel. When I thought about my own life before I got saved, I didn't really have a flame of God in my life, but 
my flame of life was going out, my hope for any kind of turnaround in my life, my hope for any kind of change in my life is just ready to die. I remember having a drug counselor tell me that, you know, that, hey, you know, you just keep doing this over and over. I don't know why you're even coming for counseling. And I realized, you know, there, I had no, nobody believing in me. I had no hope for my own life personally that I could change. But, you know, I found the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I went to a church service on a Sunday morning, answered the altar call, and I remember getting up from that altar and God speaking to me, saying, the things that used to defeat you are no longer going to defeat you. And that flame came alive in my life, flame of hope, that flame of faith, and that flame of, of God's Spirit touching my life. And that can be you today. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're here today and you're backslidden, you're away from God. God can light that flame again. God can light that flame anew in your life. You may feel like, I can never change. I can never be different. Uh, I'm always going to be this way. I've always been this way. I'm always going to be this way. No, you don't have to. I gave my life to Jesus Christ 43 years ago. Never went back to my old life. Never went back to my old addictions. Uh, had my struggles with different things, but never gone back to that old life because Jesus Christ interrupted my life and lit a new flame in my life. That's you this morning. You're unsaved. You're backslidden. You need Jesus Christ. Would you slip up your hand? Put it right back down. God wants to help you today. There'd be one here. You're unsaved. You're backslidden. You need Christ. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Is there a hand over here? Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to just stand up out of your seat, come down to this altar. I'd like to pray a prayer with you. God can touch your life today. Church today, you know, why preach this after revival? I just felt that sometimes we have to strengthen what's left in our lives. There's people, thank God for revival. He moves in us. He helps in us. Uh, we can all find ourselves where we're standing amidst the broken pieces of our lives. We're standing in the midst of what's left, our hopes and dreams and, and, and visions and things that we thought were going to happen. And we can begin to look at it as an inferior thing. And we need to let God in. Let him begin to help us rebuild. Let him help us strengthen those things that remain, that are ready to die that God can light that flame again. And so encourage you this morning. These altars are open. Come and find a place to pray, and Lord will help you today. Amen.